It's 2011, and a grueling 48-hour race is underway. An ultra-distance runner from New York is determined to beat the current record by running the equivalent of nine marathons. He only needs four five- to ten-minute breaks over the two days. Lying on the ground for just a minute will give his aching feet a rest and a chance for his overactive brain to shut down. But he cannot afford to fall asleep because there's no support crew to wake him up. This will be the ultimate test of self-control if he wants to carry on and win. I knew I couldn't go back. Is your you just wife. put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to just live. Even Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That I. was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Cogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to tick it before you kick it. When I was a kid, I run home, you know, two blocks. That was a big accomplishment for a six-year-old kid. So now it's like the there to here is San Francisco to New York. Phil McCarthy's racing resume is mind-blowing. It's exhausting just reading about what he's achieved as an elite endurance athlete. Since 1997, Phil McCarthy has raced dozens of marathons and ultras, including racing 135 miles in the Badwater Ultra Marathon in California's Death Valley. Not just once, but three times. It's a race described as the world's toughest foot race, a race of near mythical status in the world of extreme running. And as grueling as that might sound, it's nothing compared to a monumental challenge Phil finished only three weeks ago. Running, yes, I said running, coast to coast across America. All right, I am with uh, Phil McCarthy. It is uh, November in New York City. A man who has just returned from the biggest physical and mental challenge of his life. A record time, is that correct? It is a record for anybody over the age of 40. To run across America. Mm Mm-hmm. In 49 days, 7 hours, and 55 minutes. Do you know how many seconds? <laughs> oh, I didn't count the seconds. <laughs> and how are you holding up? How are you feeling? Because how long has it been now since you got back? It's been about three, it was October, and it's been about three and a half weeks. And uh, for most of the day-to-day activities, I'm fine. Uh, running is still a, a little bit of a challenge. I'm running short distances just to kind of keep my legs moving a little bit, blood circulating to see how I'm doing. Um, but for the most part, recovery's been going well. And how long do you think it will take before you're back to your normal self, whatever that um, is? Not I that I would call you normal, but no, right? Yeah, well, when you feel like you're recovered, okay, I'm recovered. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I think it's individual for a lot of different people. I have friends who have done this, and they say it may take six months until you really feel back to normal. Um, it could be something like that. You know, my, I may never recover fully. You know, to the point where I'm able to run at the speed at the intensity that i used to but i'm fine with that um whatever happens happens i'm not planning anything i have a race scheduled for next spring um but i'm not planning anything really major up until then we're going to talk about your run across america in a bit but i i I wanted to uh, start up with a, a quote here that you have you said it's funny how our brains know things but at the same time the brain ignores these facts what did you mean when you said that when you're undertaking a project like this, 
you have to ignore certain facts. You have to ignore certain pain. You have to ignore the immensity of what you're undertaking. And you have to focus on what's important, which is in something like this, the moment to moment, the, the daily, the mundane, um, just getting from one point to another point. So if your foot is hurting, if uh, your quads are killing you, you have to, I mean, your brain can ignore that. And that's just something that, that you overcome in order to say, I have to get to that next tree over there. And sometimes you're literally, when you're doing your, the, the ultra runs that you do, you are really just thinking about, I just got to get to the tree. I just got to get to the top of that hill. I just have to get to that small town. Right. Yeah. And, well, and, you know, depending on the, on the situation, you, that goal may be 100 yards away from you. It may be 10 miles away from you. They say it takes a special type of person to put themselves through ultra marathons, through mm -hmm. ultra. I, I, how do you describe yourself? For like, what are you oh. as an athlete? <laughs> All I can say is when I started running, I thought I'll run a couple of marathons. That'll be done. You know, I'll, I'll be happy with that. But then I just got interested in going farther and farther. And there's something in my brain that just said, I want to go farther and farther. Mm -hmm. Phil, I was wondering if you could take us back to a 48 hour race that you did in Suffolk. Mm -hmm. I believe it was your third 48 hour race. Mm -hmm. Things are going pretty well for you. And then as all ultra races do, there is a challenge that you face. Well, yes. So this was back in uh, May of 2011, and I was running this race with the express purpose and express goal of breaking the American record, which was 248-something miles held by my good friend John Giesler. Um, Could you just, I just stop you there for a second? Okay, 240 eight miles in 24 hours in 48 48 hours i'm yeah. sorry i'm sorry 200 plus miles in 48 hours yes which uh, just trying to wrap my head around that okay we're talking about nine or ten marathons roughly okay <laughs> I, I just run it i don't it's even, a lot I don't, I don't worry about the math too much okay uh the race is going along very well uh this is three days at the fair in new jersey and uh, just so people are, who aren't aware of these kind of races, it's a fixed time race. So it's a short loop. It's about a mile loop. And you run around as many times as you can in the allotted time. And whoever runs the most miles wins or gets a record if it's a record. So I was trying to beat 248 miles. And I had my plan. I had everything set up. And uh, I was there by myself. I had a friend help me get set up. But I was basically doing the race on my own. Had a couple of people helping out here and there. And I knew that I had to keep on pace. I couldn't really take any real break time. Uh, a couple of points during the race, I would lay down um, just to get off my feet because the feet were hurting. And sometimes you have to just lay down, close your eyes, and just shut the brain down. But I was very careful not to fall asleep. Because if I fell asleep, I would very possibly not wake up until several hours later and the record would be out the window. So, you know, after 25 hours, 36 hours, um, you need to lay down. And, you and need when you lay down, uh, Phil, I how just, long are you sleeping for, resting for? I was resting for like between five to ten minutes. 
And in that, in that period of time, you can actually get up and feel very fairly refreshed. Um, in one case, I had there was somebody nearby, and I, I asked them to wake me up in five minutes, but you know they're busy doing other things. So, um, so I just had to be sure that I kind of kept one eye open, in a way. And the mind is is just in such a state that I'm paranoid about anything failing, whether it's an alarm or whether it's somebody helping to wake you up. Uh, so I was laying down, just flat on the ground, nothing. You know, I think there's a tarp under me just so I'm not right on the grass. Uh, feet slightly elevated just to get off my feet a little bit. And close my eyes. I think I had a towel over my eyes or something like that. Just keep any extraneous light out. And just kind of kept a little bit of my brain open for business. Just enough so I wouldn't uh, fall asleep. So I did, th I did that three or four times during the race. And you're hearing, you're hearing sounds from runners running by in the middle of the night or you know distance you know runners in the distance far away or something like that so you're just trying to keep a little bit of uh, connection with the waking world uh while you take your little five ten minute rest well well i'm <laughs> going to finish that story about your your okay. amazing your epic run of, of 48 hours what's interesting to me when you read about your background phil is that you didn't right. start off running long distances. No. In fact, you started off running very short distances, yes. like 100 meters. Yes. So like I, I, went, I grew up in uh, small t a relatively small town, Norfolk, Nebraska. I went to a small school. And so I was a decent sprinter for the small school that I went to. You know, I, I grew up in football country. Long distances never, were never something that entered my mind. Yeah. It was only afterwards, you know, through college, uh, as I was growing, you know, into adulthood. You I moved to New York at some point. I moved to New York uh, when I was 26 years old. I say relatives on Staten Island. It just so happened that my bedroom window looked out to see the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, which is where they start the New York Marathon. Yeah. And I thought, I have to run across that bridge. And the only way you can do that is to sign up for the marathon. So I signed up for the marathon, ran my first marathon in 97. The great thing about the New York Marathon is it gets to run through all five boroughs. So you yes. see the Staten Island Bridge. Is that what it's called? It the Verrazano Bridge. Oh, by the way, I changed the light bulb up on top of the Verrazano Bridge once. Oh, is that right? I went down the cable <sighs> and I unscrewed the, a light bulb and put a new one in there <laughs> back in 1994. Um, oh, a little bit man. before I, you got into your marathon. I got a little bit of fear of heights. That would, that would freak me out a little so bit. So you want to run across the Verrazano or you yeah. want to go across the Verrazano. And the only way to do it? Got to do the New York right, Marathon. Right, there's no pedestrian walkway on there. And it's, and it's an iconic photograph. You know, you see the thousands and thousands of runners going across the bridge. It's, you know, it's really an iconic photograph. And, yeah, the New York Marathon is great because it goes through all the boroughs, huge crowd support. And you're never alone, and you always have people cheering for you if you're having a, a downtime, you know, especially if you, like, write your name on your shirt. You know, I say, oh, go, 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 Phil. You must miss that if you're now doing these ultra marathons you know after running in the new york marathon and getting cheered on and yeah. then you're out in the middle of nowhere and there's nobody around exactly um i love very all different. of different i love all of it and i'm generally a very uh i'm a very zen runner kind of i internalize things yeah and i can i can focus you know keep things within my head and uh i don't necessarily need all that external motivation um, sometimes it, it can actually be a little bit overwhelming for me. Like if you're in New York or Boston, the, the, the noise sometimes becomes a little overwhelming for me personally. Um, but I definitely feel comfortable 
in both situations. And I definitely feel comfortable if I'm out on a mountain trail or if I'm out on a dirt road in the middle of Nevada. Oh boy, um, I can I can handle in just about any kind of situation. When do you realize that you're not just a fast runner, but you're a long distance runner, that you have some gift, that you have the ability to just keep on going and may I say a little bit like Forrest Gump because we know he did right, and, right. and the beard Phil by the way <laughs> <laughs> was that from running across America by the way for as, as a matter of fact face? as a matter of fact it was I had I had about a week's growth before I started I, I knew that I was not going to be doing too much with you know hygiene and you know I was getting the, the bare minimum brushing my teeth you know about the best I could do so the hair went to hell and the, the beard came out and uh, I was I was very happy being a wild man. When I look myself in the mirror, I'm thinking, ah, oh, that doesn't look good, but I like it. You've still got a little wild in your I eye. I still, oh yeah, Right now, still, uh, I can see you've still got that yeah. far away look in your eye like you've, yeah. you've just gone to hell and back. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and and you kind of, you kind of did. I kind of did, yeah. So you realize that you can run run long distances, and I believe your your time in that first marathon was something like three forty seven. Three forty seven. Yeah. And and when you finished, you thought, mm, I'm not really sure I can run that much faster, but I think I could keep running further than that. Yes. I was thinking about the Boston Marathon. Boston Marathon, you have to run a fast qualifying time in order to enter, and I was thinking, oh. You know, that would have been like three hours and ten minutes or three hours and... That's the qualifying time? For, for yeah. And I was saying, there's no way I'm ever going to qualify for that. You know, if I'm lucky, maybe I'll get, you know, 3.30, something like that. I ran shorter races. I ran longer races, gained more experience. I dropped my marathon time. My, my fast marathon to date is 2.50. 55 so I got oh you did get really way down I got I got way down anybody who goes under three hours is a, is a phenom in my mind and uh, it was it was just a combination of different training uh, techniques racing techniques and just the joy of, of doing it and it was at the same time about that same time that I started running ultras and started running the longer distances and like I said I still had that in my head how far can I go until I drop was was kind of the thought and I and haven't why, gotten why why would you be interested in let me see how far I can run before I drop like who's interested in who, who why is anybody interested in anything that was just the the, the thing that came to my mind um, some people wanted to see how fast they can go and to some degree I had that but it was just something in my mind I wanted to see how far I could go and one of the, the things I really love about running the, the long distance running is the feeling of covering ground from here to there. It's not just an abstract distance. It's I'm running from uh, the start line in Badwater, in Death Valley, to the finish line on Mount Whitney, the highest mountain in 14,000 feet, something. Yeah, we don't go all the way to the top during the race, but it's, yeah. When I was a kid, I run home from my friend's house, you know, two blocks. I ran from there to here. That was a big accomplishment for a six-year-old kid. And so now it's like the there to here is San Francisco <laughs> to New York. That does kind of contradict the fixed time race <laughs> where you run in loops for 48 hours or six days I, at a I time. I didn't realize that the 48-hour race went on a one-mile Yeah, and sometimes, like sometimes those are run on track even. So my first 48-hour was on a 300-meter track in France. So... 
Really? Just going round and round. Yeah. I do think you have to be a certain type of individual to it's, put it's, your body through that. It's like like our, our new Nebraska State slogan, it's not for everybody. <laughs> yeah, not for everybody. Um, tell us about uh, you becoming the first American man to place in the top 10 at the 24-hour world championship race. I think you finished yes. fourth? Fourth. That was something that was really a big moment for me and a real surprise. This was 2007, so I've been doing ultras for five years. Yeah. But I had only done my first 24-hour race, like, a year before, in order to qualify to get a qualifying uh, race to make to get on the team. Tell us about that particular race. So uh, you you end up fourth. I was green. I was just. It was my first time on the world championship team. I was the lowest qualifier on the team. No one was expecting anything from me. I wasn't really expecting anything from myself. I had a little bit of a goal. And it was in uh, Drummondville, Quebec. And they started in the afternoon. It was a hot day, very humid. I started out conservatively just because that was how I was planning to start out. A lot of the front runners, like front Russian runners, um, some of the Japanese runners went out too fast. They eventually died out. I kept consistent. What kind of uh, mile rate are you running there? I'm averaging about nine and a half minutes per mile. Okay, and so you have to be very disciplined, right? I was I was very disciplined. I had a very I developed a very disciplined eating, drinking routine, a walking break. I had a disciplined walking break every every lap. But as we're going along, about eighteen hours into the race, one of my teammates says to me, "I I, I passed him, and I knew I was going to be the the top American in the race at that point. I didn't know what my mileage was. I didn't know what my place was. I passed my teammate." And he said, do you know what place you're in now? I said, no. He said, fifth. I said, fifth. And, you know, and I'm, I'm going past the timing tent, and this is in Quebec, so they're, they're speaking French, and I, they're speaking French, and they, I hear my name, McCarthy. And I was like, why are they saying my name? Why are they talking about me? So I was fifth. I ended up in fourth place, and it was actually very, uh, very nerve-wracking towards the end because the fifth-place runner behind me was catching up very quickly. And... Our team was in third place for a, in place for a gold me- a bronze medal, but there was another team catching up to us very quickly. So I had uh, one of our crew members just telling me, "Run, run, run fast!" You know, he's catching up. The guy is a minute behind you. Next lap, he's 45 seconds behind you. And by the time they sounded the buzzer, I was at a certain point in the ra- uh, on the course, and I, I dropped my marker. You know, we drop your marker to show where you finish. And I'm walking back to the start-finish area, and that runner behind me, he finished about 100 meters behind me. So I managed to hold on to fourth place by about 100 meters. But it was huge because no one expected anything from me. That put me on the map, in a way, uh, on, an, on the national or even the international stage. And that was really the first time that I felt like, uh, yeah, this could, be, this could be something big. It seemed to like validate everything that I had done all the work that I put in up to that point, and just to know that here was something that I kind of discovered on my own, in mm-hmm. a way, the, the ultras, and it was totally unexpected in my, in my life. Like I said, I grew up, you know, a kid, very unathletic, and all of a sudden, here I'm kind of up on the world stage, and people I don't know are coming up to me, you know, saying I'm a fan or something like this and I, then I've spoken to other runners and they talk about you you know they, they yeah. said that this this guy has this crazy mental toughness where he can just keep on going 
going back to the story that we started about the 48 mm-hmm. hour race when you didn't want to fall asleep right you're scared right because you've put all this work in right. to be there yeah and now you're petrified that it's all going to get blown by yeah. falling asleep i knew that if i kept on pace i was going to have the record i think that helped my my mind keep focused even when i was semi unconscious and I got up and it even rained on me the last seven hours, oh. but and it was it was a pretty heavy downpour at times too. For seven hours you were rained on. Seven hours we were rained on. I broke the record with about an hour and forty minutes to spare, so I ended up with two hundred fifty-seven point three four miles, and an American record that held up until uh, a year ago now, November seventeenth. Somebody somebody beat that. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That is extraordinary. Yeah. What does the body feel like after punishing itself for 257 miles? It's still functioning as if it's running to some degree. In what way? Um, it's hard to say, but you're still sweating. Like you're still sweating as if you're running until the next day. And, you know, it takes a while for the heartbeat to kind of just, you know, resume a normal a heartbeat, yeah, circulation, you, you, circulation to return to normal. The, the circulation is strange because you feel like everything's like tingling. You feel kind of numb to some degree. That's actually one of the things I enjoy about the sport because you do get to experience all these strange sensations. Um, what are some of the stranger sensations that you've experienced? A lot of it has to do with, like I said, that, that the circulation. Because when, when that happens, it, the head sometimes gets a little lightheaded. Um, I've never had any hallucinations. I hate to disappoint people. People are always asking me, you know, they hear stories about someone who imagines leprechauns or something like that. I've never had any of that. Um, sheer exhaustion. Um, and, it's, I, you know, it's strangely enough, it's very little real pain. Uh, people always talk about the pain. I don't very often feel the pain. It's just more a matter of exhaustion and just overuse. Tell us about Badwater because okay. that is uh, that's one it's of the a badass race. It's right? a badass race. Is it the toughest ultra race in the world in your mind? It's the toughest race that rewards you for what you put into it. So tell us what, what is Badwater? Badwater is a 135 mile race that starts in at the Badwater Point in Death Valley, California. Lowest point in in the Western Hemisphere. Western 200, Hemisphere. 282 feet below sea level. Okay. And hotter than hell. Hotter than it's the hottest uh, place that's have the hottest recorded temperature ever, as was recorded in Death Valley. Perfect place to in start the middle a race. of July. Okay. In the middle of July, and so you cross the desert, and then for 45 miles you climb 5,000 feet up a mountain, go down 3,500 feet, go up 3,500 feet another mountain, you cross the plains, and you finish 8,500 feet up in elevation on Mount Whitney, which is the highest, eleva- highest mountain in the lower 48 states. And so you'll, you'll get temperatures of 125 degrees or more. Um, and so in this particular race... It, in, sounds like, it just sounds like hell. It sounds like... It, like if you got sent to hell and, and whoever is down there, you know, monitoring hell, the devil, I guess, <laughs> and the devil said, you've been very, very bad, I'm going to punish you. You've got to run bad water. And yet everybody wants to run this race. It, it's, it's tough to get into. Is it? Yeah. And 
two kinds of people in this world, those who drive through Death Valley as fast as they can with the windows up and the AC blasting, and those who get out and run on the road. And so I'm definitely one of those who gets out and runs You got out, out and ran. How many times have you done bad water? Done three times. I finished top 10 each time. I kind of I get spoiler alert, but um, so the second time I ran it, I was having real bad blisters on the second climb. Um, at the end of the second climb, about 80 miles into the race, it was just killing me. And this was real pain. I got in my crew vehicle. Was well, for you to say that you were in pain, you must have been in pain. It was pain. And because there was there were blisters all over my feet, the bottom, the top, the heels, the toes. But oh my God! After and this the race, happened, but I'm just trying to get my head around <laughs> this because this happened with 55 miles to go. Yeah, I was running. So you've, you've still got, you've got two marathons ahead of you. Yeah. And you're going through, including this. a 5,000 foot climb to finish the race. And blisters all over your feet. And I'll go through exhaustion. I'll go through. Uh, dehydration i'll go through uh, hypo, uh hypothermia and you know pushing through some of those can be difficult but that kind of pain so that was that was definitely the most pain i've probably felt in any race and like i said i got through the race but as soon as i got to the finish line i could barely walk oh my god it was horrible why do you think you've gravitated towards a, a solitary sport as opposed to playing pickup basketball with your friends or you must like being on your own. That's that's part of my. That's always been part of my personality. You know, I've always, I've always been kind of a shy, introverted person, and I've I've come. You know, I come comfortable like in my own skin. When I get into that, that kind of a, uh, a situation, I'm in a race, and I just feel like I'm on my own. But I feel like I'm running through the world, and I'm experiencing the world just in a different way, and. So it's it's it is solitary, but you're not really alone because even if you're running through the desert in Nevada, you're experiencing the environment and the world. It is part of my personality, though. I I feel comfortable in my own skin. I can internalize these things a lot, and um, it's and so I think in that way it suits me, and that could be what, one of the reasons I've had success in the sport. Yeah, you really have. <laughs> so, talking about ultra distance running yeah. i mentioned you've just come back from running across america yeah fresh off the road fresh three off, yeah. weeks ago or something three weeks yeah yeah um what motivates you to want to do that the ultimate here to there in my mind is pacific ocean or atlantic ocean you were inspired also by a number of record holders some some record holders who had gone across america and yes extraordinarily quickly can you give some credence to some of those runners well absolutely um for many years the the record for running cross country was held by frank janino he ran it in the 80s in the 1980s and it was 46 days and change and so when i had this in my head i'm thinking i want to go for that record i want to break that record for 46 days and then two years ago along comes this young guy pete kostelnik uh he's he set out to break the record he started on his 30th birthday he sure enough he breaks a record by four days 42 days and i actually uh i had become friends with him you know on facebook whatever in that meantime and i ran with him on his last day down the length of manhattan and uh so i mean we're, we're we're good friends to this day but um i'm thinking i can't you know that that's a tough record to break i can't not try it just because it's 
a much tougher record. So I still had to go for it myself. So you head off across America on mm-hmm. your run. Yeah. Uh, big support crew. I mean, how many people are with you? Well, I had originally intended to have two uh, support vehicles and four full-time crew members. You know, like I have an RV and a van, four full-time crew members take care of me. Well, sponsorship didn't come through, budget didn't quite come through, so it ended up being uh, me and a buddy with his uh, Chevy Trailblazer, uh, pretty much. It was, um, well, I started out with uh, two crew members, Dwight Dammers, he was the owner of the Trailblazer, a friend Camilo Martinez, who's also a very experienced uh, ultra runner. Um, Camilo was only able to stay the first 11 days before he had to get back, but Dwight was with me from beginning to end, and he was so incredible he was a perfect person you want for this kind of job it was definitely a team it was not me running in him it was definitely a very symbiotic team effort um he had such a positive attitude he was he's a, a workhorse and he kept me going a lot of times i'd be sleeping and he would be doing the laundry or something like that and you know, he'd be working just as hard as I was in a lot of cases. What was the general f- plan, Phil, in terms of how many miles a day, what your time you were aiming for? Right. Well, in order to break the record, I would have had to run 73 miles a day. Uh, I was t- kind of keeping close to that for the first uh, five days or so um, to within to where point was within reach. Um, eventually, you know, I had some bad days. I had a couple of there was a day I had a detour and so I had some setbacks that made me realize I was not going to be getting the record. But once I got past that, and once we got into a routine, you know, Dwight and I had this thing going, um, we'd be going between 60, 70 miles a day, generally. <laughs> I have the average is 63 miles a day for, for what I did the whole for time. For what you did. Yeah. And that would be uh, usually between 14, 15 hours, maybe a little more. Again, more than two marathons a day. Mm-hmm. It, it was. It's basically uh, sometimes three. Th- sometimes three. Yeah. Oh, I see. It was that's the average. Some, you would, yeah. Sometimes I do. If you 70, felt good, you three seventy four. Yeah. If I was feeling good, um, definitely. So what? What was the longest you ran in a day? My longest day was seventy nine miles. That was actually uh, the 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 second to last day when I was coming into New York. I was, I was actually intending to run all night long because I was close and I figured I can go one night without sleep. I just want to get in and get done as quickly as I can. So I, it was like an 18-hour day. What was that like to be on this huge challenge of your <laughs> life and go through your hometown? Well, it was, it was really incredible. And my brother's wife had set up this whole thing with my old high school. So the cross-country team met me oh, like four miles brilliant. outside of town. They ran in the last four miles with me. And... Like my, my nephew came out to uh, to run with me for a little bit. My brother came out. A cousin came up. So all of a sudden, I was seeing all my family. I was seeing all my you know school people. I was, and then I got to uh, my high school, and uh, they had a little ceremony. Some of my classmates were there, and we always knew you'd run across America. Oh no, <laughs> man! I was such a scrawny little runt back then. Come on. Um, but uh, so it was really nice, and so I have to give a shout out to the Norfolk Catholic Alumni Association. Yeah, please and give a shout out. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Norfolk Catholic uh, Schools and the Alumni Association. They gave me a gift bag, and on, and they all helped me out. It was so supportive, and so that kind of, and all that pain just kind of disappeared. And 
We got into town. Four o'clock next morning, wake up. Out we right go. Right back out again. Right back out. What do you say to people maybe that are looking for a little bit more in their life? That want to push themselves a little bit further than they have before. Yeah. That maybe are finding it hard to just go for a mile run even. Right. Like, what, what do you say to them? Well, find out what your passion is. If your passion is to run a mile, um, it will happen. If your passion is to run a marathon, it will happen. Um, how do you find your passion? You know, some people, they, they say... Everybody just, knows it. Everybody they, knows it. But how, is, is it about self-discovery? Is it about spending time by yourself and, and, and maybe going for long walks to think? Or how do you I, find I it? I think a lot of it has involves thinking, maybe going for a walk or breaking out of a routine, maybe. Hmm. Just because people get into a routine, they get into a bubble, I think. And they don't realize the possibilities that are out there. And even for me, ultra running was not something that I considered. You know, I was just, you know, reading magazines. So I was, you know, reading about mountain climbing. I was reading about kayaking. I was reading about cycling, snowboarding. And that's all. That was very nice. And then I read about long distance running. I thought, yeah, that's, that's the one. That's something that, that so, captured you know, your imagination. Yeah. You know, break out of the routine a little bit, break out of the bubble a little bit. Um, and once you find what you have, it's, it's not easy and it takes work. Um, How do you survive financially? Because um, this is not a cheap thing to do when you, when you take right. 40, 48 days, was it? 40, 49 days and 49, change. 49 yeah. days and change. Yeah. When you take 49 days out of your life to run across America, how do you make that happen financially? I'd set up a GoFundMe page, yep. actually, which was intended just to supplement uh, what the sponsors wouldn't cover. In the end, that was my source of funding. Uh, we did go on do it on a much smaller budget than we intended to. We had one vehicle um, and one person for most of the time. And uh, we slept in the car a lot, uh, shopped at Walmart, found some you know low cost food and so forth, and and. I, I will also say that I had a huge support group, both in New York and all the friends that I have nationwide, worldwide, who did give their hard-earned money, which, you know, it's hard for me to take that. It's hard for me to, to you know, to know that people have given me $25, $100, or, or whatever, um, of money that they worked hard for in order for me to do this that does not benefit them in any tangible way, but it... It really made me, it, it got me, it kept me going. That's one thing that kept me going because if it was just me doing this on my own, I probably, I might have quit. But knowing that I had all this support and I, you know, I'd check my Facebook whenever I could and, you know, I'd see all the comments and go, 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 Phil. You know, it kept you going. It definitely kept me going. They had as much of an ownership in it as I did myself. So I feel like it belongs to them as much as it does to me. What do you do for a day job? Are you a coach or? I am a coach. Um, I mean, where can people go if they want to be coached by one of the greatest ultra distance runners of all time? They can go to McCarthyRunningExperience.com. Okay. And that is, uh, yeah, that's. Um, and will you coach anybody? I mean, if I'll coach anybody. I can do it long distance, beginning runners or people who have never. Do you love that? Access. Do you love to yes. get pe like expose people to because new? Not necessarily trying to 
coach people to like win, you know, the marathon, win New York Marathon. I want people to get the most out of their lives, to get the most out of their body. And I, you know, I've uh, developed a certain technique so people can get the most out of it, make it as pain free as as possible. You know, try to and just set goals and set goals. I, I I know you have a real heart and 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 care about others. And I I, I read this quote where you said that you're American born, you're a white Christian male with a job, you got good health, good insurance, you're gonna be fine, but you worry about those who are not white, Christian, employed, healthy, and in, insured uh, men. Because right. everyone outside of that bubble is mm -hmm. in danger of losing their opportunity, their money, their voice, their freedom, or potential, or more. Mm -hmm. So where, where does that come from, that, that concern? It's, I only say that because here you are, you're involved in a sport right. where it, it, there's a certain amount of um, uh, selfishness that has to go into yes. doing something like you do, meaning mm -hmm. it, you really have to focus on your needs. Right. But at the same time, here's this guy who wants to coach others and help others and mm -hmm. inspire others, and you have this concern about your fellow human beings. Well, absolutely. And, you know, that's, I mean, it's not necessarily that's just the, the current political climate that I, that I am not real uh, thrilled with at the moment. But, I mean, it's not necessarily current because I've seen it through my whole life. Yes. And I've seen, it's always been kind of like bubbling under the surface, but I see or hear comments, you know, that like such and such maybe immigrants are here to ruin the country or right. or something and or such and such a religion you know they'll they'll stereotype and I see I see I hear that my entire life and it's kind of exploding into a volcano right now you have to be careful about how you approach these kind of right. subjects you have to be careful about and just remain positive so it's not politicized right. it, that it's just you as an American caring about your fellow countrymen right and and keep it positive and to think okay these these people who want to come to the country when you think about it, they you know they want to work they want to make a better life for themselves yeah you know you can say oh they've broken this law or they've broken that law well maybe they have maybe they haven't but they're here to you know they're not here to hurt anybody a lot of people that are targets of uh, bigotry or racism or stereotypes it's all false because no, no large group of people is out to hurt anybody else. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, it's, it's disheartening to see so much, so many people with, with fear of all these other people. I'm just trying to put out, you know, there's nothing to fear yeah. in these people. These are good people. Um, yeah. Whenever I feel like I'm spending too much time on myself, I think, okay, no, let, me, let me see what I can do to, like, give back something or to look at somebody else's life and and see somebody else's point of view um sometimes it it's it's easy to get kind of trapped into your own self and your yeah. own world and particularly when you start getting into a sport at an elite level and even in at an older age you know mm -hmm. where you look at some people that get so obsessed with their own goals right. that they forget sometimes the reason that they got into it in the first place right right <laughs> so just going to wrap up here. Okay. Goals right now? Something on, on, on your mind? Something you want to do? My goal is to keep running 
enjoy running for the rest of my life. I will be happy being a participant, enjoying, uh, enjoying the race, being with people. I also would like to um, create and direct more races, be a, ra a race director. I do uh, am race director for a 100-mile race in New York City. But I was it's like been going for about six years, I think. Uh, we've had seven, seven years so far. And uh, it's been successful, and I have ideas, you know, for other types of races that I like to uh, create. Because I want to, you know, uh, you know, give a little bit back to the community, you know, and give give runners, you know, another opportunity to experience the same joy that I've had experienced. So I, this is customary for me to ask all my guests at the end okay. of the interview, uh, okay. Phil. If you were going to take a road trip, meaning you weren't going to run, <laughs> you were going to get in a car <laughs> and you were going to drive across America yeah. and you could take three people in the car, Okay, <laughs> who would you take with you from any time in history? Um, one person I would think I would take would be my great-great-grandfather, Michael McCarthy. He's the one who came to the U.S. from Ireland uh, as a refugee from the famine. I would just wow. like to and show him what, you know... I said, I don't know. I ha I've always had this idea of like traveling back in time and meeting him and ex and like just telling him everything that's happening and whatever. So, but him and learning about where he came and from exactly yep. and learning about his um, Edward Payson Weston. I think I got the name right. He was actually like the original ultra runner, a pedestrian. They called it back in the day. Wasn't he back in the twenties or thirties? In the eighteen hundreds. Eighteen hundreds. He be, he became famous because he's he made a bet that he would be able to walk from Boston to Washington yes. in a certain time in order to see Lincoln's inauguration. And he also, I think, was the first person to walk across the US. Okay. So I think you he would a, be you've a got a good car full here. Okay, and one more person. And and this is silly, but Olivia Newton John. Olivia Newton-John. Yes. Okay. Just Explain because that to me, I she's been my favorite singer since I was twelve. I had a huge crush on her when I was twelve. <laughs> I I would just love to to meet her and, and just go on a road trip. I think that would be fun. I think that sounds like a crazy carful, but <laughs> a lot of fun. It'd be a lot of fun and a lot easier than running. Yes. Oh, and that's to this day that's one of my dream vacations just to get in the car and drive around the country. I think you should do it. Yeah. You, it might not take you as long. You could and you I can, can enjoy. You, you can go. With a, you can go at the speed limit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, Phil, what would you do with your last day on Earth if you if you knew that tomorrow was going to be your last day on Earth? What would you right. want to do with it? Um. Well, I would definitely want to be with friends or family, if if possible. Um, I would not be. Run I might might go for a short run, you know. But I would just just want to be around the people I care about. That's that's the important thing. You're an awesome human being. Thank you so much. All right, the great you, Phil. Phil McCarthy. And if anybody wants to be trained by you, they go where? They go to McCarthyRunningExperience.com. Beautiful. Great. Thank, thank you. you. Oh, you can watch this podcast online at philcogan.com. And let me know what's on your bucket list. You never know. You might be my next guest. Don't forget, ticket before you kick it. <laughs>